Today on Grow in Grace. What God gives is joy. It's something different than happiness. Happiness depends on circumstances. Joy is a choice. What? I can choose joy. I can choose to change my attitude. There's not a lot we can change in our lives, but we can change our attitude. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say let this world know me by your love. When a storm hits our lives, like the lion in The Wizard of Oz, we often lack the courage we need to make it through. Instead, we frequently resort to fear and worry. Well, today on Grow in Grace, you'll meet the Lord of the Sea who can help us through anything we face in life. When we left you last time, Jesus had just fed thousands of people with merely five loaves and two fish. Following this comes another incredible miracle. Jesus is about to walk on water and teach his disciples and us yet another valuable lesson. Here's Pastor Ed Ray in John 6. John chapter 6 this morning, and in the second half of the chapter, following Jesus feeding the 5,000, verse 15, it says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that the, this large crowd were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when the evening had come, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, went over the sea into Capernaum, and it was already dark. Jesus had not come with them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately that boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except the one that his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. And then they said to him, What shall we do? that we may work the works of God. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. 
Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit to teach us now that we might know you better and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. I read this week about a man and woman who met, fell in love, got married, and it just so happened that their birthdays were on the same day. And after uh, many years of marriage, on their 60th birthday, they decided to renew their marriage vows and asked the pastor to take them through the vows again, which they did. And, and when he finished, all of a sudden an angel appeared next to the pastor. And the angel said to this couple, God is pleased with you. What is it that you would like? You can each have one thing. And the wife said, oh, I've always wanted to travel the world. And instantly there were two tickets in her hands to world travel. And the angel said to the man, and you? And the man was looking down a little ashamed and he said, well, I've always wanted a wife 30 years younger than me. <laughs> and instantly he was 90. <laughs> that has absolutely nothing to do with the message, but it was just, I heard it and I was laughing all by myself in my office. <laughs> we're looking at a chapter of the Gospel of John, just to kind of bring you back to where we were, how we got to where we are now. And John is the only book in the Bible of the 66 books in Old and New Testament. John is the only book that tells us why he sat down and wrote it. He was in his 90s when he wrote it, probably writing from Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey in Ephesus. And he said he wrote about seven signs, about seven miracles, so that you could believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the King, the Mashiach, and believing that you might have eternal life. So, and then he said, if I would write down all the things that Jesus did, all the books in all the world could not contain everything he did. But these things I write so that you might know him. As we've worked our way through the gospel up here to chapter 6, this chapter actually has two miracles in it. The first one is the feeding of the 5,000, probably more like 10 or 12,000 counting men and women and children. But the feeding of the 5,000, and then the second half, the story of the storm. Now, this is Storm 102. Storm 101, the original storm, was Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat. You might remember that. And uh, the storm came up, and the waves were crashing over the side of the boat. The disciples were freaking out. And... Uh, they woke up Jesus. Master, don't you care that we're perishing? We're all going to die here. And he stood up and said, be still. And immediately the lake went flat and the wind stopped. But this is a second storm. And God often brings multiple storms into our lives. Someone said the Christian life is you are either going through a storm or you're just coming out of a storm, or you're about ready to go into another one. <laughs> so you're never very far from storms in your life. So if you're sitting here this morning in a storm, don't be surprised, because storms are the way that God 
teaches us. You don't hear anything else this morning, hear that. The storms are for us to learn about our Lord, our master, our ruler. And it's in the storms when we finally come to the realization we can't do anything about this on our own. We turn to him and in faith we trust him and he bails us out. That's really what this story is about. This section is also about working for something. It's saying that the startling fact is that money is not the most important investment. Many people would disagree with that. Most of the world, I would say, would disagree with that. But what Jesus is saying in the second part of what we're looking at this morning is he's saying that the most important thing you can invest is your time in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important in the world. Everything in this world will pass, no matter how much you accumulate, no matter how popular or famous you become, no matter how educated you are. The only thing that matters is what you did with your time. Did you invest it in God's kingdom or not? So, the most unhappy person in the world is not someone who didn't get what he or she wanted. I found the most unhappy people in the world are getting what they wanted, thinking it would make them happy, only to find out that it didn't. And then they're miserable because they're seeking happiness and not joy. What God gives is joy. It's something different than happiness. Happiness depends on circumstances. Joy is a choice. What? I can choose joy. I can choose to change my attitude. There's not a lot we can change in our lives, but we can change our attitude. I just saw a wife elbow her husband. Sorry. <laughs> Two miracles in this chapter. First one, feeding the 5,000. It's actually almost one together because the people reacted by trying to make Jesus king, which made him go to the mountain and send his disciples across the lake. So they're connected very much. But these miracles that John writes about, these signs that he writes about, we looked at the first one was a important one of God showing himself in Jesus by changing water to wine. You remember the wedding feast, sounding, they run out of wine. And uh, Jesus' mother and the disciples and Jesus are there. And she says, can you help him out? And he says, not yet my time. But he did anyway. He asked the stewards, the servants, to fill up water jugs, 25 gallons each. Fill them up. He doesn't touch them. He asks them to take it to the head of the wedding feast. He tastes it and said, this is the best wine. You've left the best wine till last. A phenomenal miracle from a science point of view. You know, some of you know that I was a biochemist, am a biochemist, and had been for many years in a hospital setting and then in a research setting. And to change water to wine is a very complicated process. It requires time. What? Glucose, grape sugar, plus some yeast and some bacteria and the right temperature in the dark 
and eventually it will turn to wine. A very complex compound, 450 different phenols and acids and tannins in it. This complex liquid. Jesus did it without touching it in an instant. What's the message? He's the Messiah. He's the God of time and chemistry and physics. You're listening to Grow in Grace and a study based in John 6 from Pastor Ed Ray. Here he is with more. Second miracle. Ruler's son, same area, not far from Cana. Guy rides up on a horse. He's related to Herod, evidently. He's a ruler's son. And his own child is sick. We're not told how. He's got fever. Of course, in the first century, life expectancy was very short. There was all the various diseases we have vaccines for now, smallpox, etc., measles. It was one of the most deadly diseases in children up until the 1850s in our nation. And so his son is dying. He asked Jesus to come down to Comertium, 15 miles away, and heal his son. Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has healed your son. I said, what? And so he rides off on a horse, evidently gets stopped by his servants who are coming up to tell him that his son had been healed. All better. Fever's gone. And the dad says, what time did it happen? And they told him it was the same time Jesus said, your son is healed. Jesus healed a boy, an infant probably, 15 miles away with no prescription, with out touching him without seeing him, without even knowing exactly what he had, except he was God and he knew what he had. And so we go, this might be God. <laughs> He's healing people long distance, this baby. Third one, Jesus is walking through the city of Jerusalem and there's a man next to a pool of Siloam and he's been an invalid, injured, 38 years, couldn't walk, is on a pallet. And Jesus walks up to him and says, would you like to be healed? And the guy makes all the excuses why he couldn't be. And Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And he did. What's the message? Jesus is God over chronic illnesses too. Then a boy that we looked at last time, we were in John, is there with uh, five loaves and some fish. And there's 5,000 people listening to Jesus speak. He's doing miracles. He's teaching. Maybe 10 or 12,000 kind of the women, children. And Jesus said, well, we need to feed them. And his disciples said, we don't have the money. And the McDonald's doesn't open for another 2,000 years. Officially sandwiches. And so terrible, sorry. Focus, focus, focus. We're back on feeding these 5,000 people, men. And so Jesus, what do we have? Well, this kid, let me have it. Takes it. He blesses it. Blesses God, the Father, and starts tearing it apart. And every time he tears it apart, the party tore off appears again. I don't know. I don't know how he did it. It's like a bad Star Trek episode where the replicator is, you know, turning out bread that had never grown. The wheat had never grown. He, he feeds some fish and breaks it up and they keep coming and the fish had never swum, never lived, never breathed. And we're left with the story 
but not the scientific reasoning, the logic. Will we believe? Because if we will believe that Jesus came, did these things, died for our sins in my place on a cross, in your place on a cross, then we would have eternal life, eternity. And it confuses the crowd when Jesus is talking this way as it still does people today. And they say, well, I have to work for it. What do I have to do? Do I have to go to church? How many times a month do I have to go to church? How, many, how much money do I have to give? How many Bible verses do I have to memorize? How many little old ladies do I have to help across the street? I gotta earn this, right? We do it the old fashioned way, we earn it. We're Americans. <laughs> Jesus said that you believe, that you would trust that God came, died on a cross and took on my punishment and yours. You must believe that. But if you will believe that, you will live for eternity. Oh, pastor, it sounds too easy. I know, but let's watch it develop here. Verse 15 through 21, the first part of this is walking on the water, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> Number five, miracle. And then Jesus is himself the food that will sustain you for eternity, 22 through 29. Okay, starting verse 15. Jesus therefore perceived that this crowd who he had fed would come and take him by force and make him a king. The word king is in small case. He already was the king. He was the king of kings. In fact, even the Magi came into Jerusalem and said, we're looking for the king of the Jews who was born, even Pilate. When Jesus died on the cross, put the sign on the top of the cross and said, King of the Jews. But that was a small K. This is the king. They want to make him a physical leader. They don't want him to be priest. They don't want him to be God. They want him to be king. I mean, even the disciples were fighting over who got to be in his cabinet, right? Judas wanted to be the treasurer. Probably. James and John, they wanted to be his counselors. Peter wanted to be his prime minister. And so these guys have all these plans of how they're, they're still arguing about it. How they're going to get to the top of the kingdom of God. Which is the subject at the end here. So they want to make him king. They wanted to force him to take the throne. Why? Because they wanted bread. That's what it comes down to. But that was the call of the Roman citizens in Rome. The Caesars gave them bread and entertainment. Bread every day, a loaf of bread for every family, for the citizens of Rome, and the circus entertainment. Things haven't changed a lot, have they? So that's what they're looking for. So he departs and goes up on the side of the mountain. Verse 16, and when evening had come, his disciples went down to the sea. Now Mark adds in his uh, retelling of the same event, said that immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. He compelled them. 
Now that's a really important part of the story. He wanted them to do it, made sure they did it. They're doing the right thing when the storm hits. What? They're obeying. They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. How you do it. Because the first thing that happens to me when I get in a storm, I go, what did I do wrong? I, I must have done something wrong. I mean, heaven knows I do enough stuff wrong. There's so much material to work with. I didn't do something that I should have or I did something that I should have. It must be my fault. The disciples had the same temptation that you and I do. That's the first thing that crossed their mind when the storm comes up. What do we do wrong? But wait a minute, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. How about you? If you're a visitor, some of you watch me walk in and I'm hobbling around because I had a car accident. I left church. I mean, how holy can you get? I go to church <laughs> and I drive down San Bernardino Avenue, go through that light, and an idiot runs the red light and crushes me. And I'm going, God, how holy can I get? I'm trying to do it. I just left church and I get clobbered. I got two broken arms full of stainless steel and six ribs and a concussion and a face that looked like a pizza. I went through the windshield. And I had plenty of time to think about it in the hospital. But God, what did I do wrong? I must... These disciples were exactly where God told them to go. They're doing the right thing. They entered the ship, verse 17, and went over the sea towards Capernaum, back to where they were stationed, and it was now dark. And it usually is dark when the storm starts because it amplifies everything. Jesus didn't come with them. It felt like they were alone. How you do it? Felt like I was alone. As I laid in the street out there with EMTs trying to drag me out of my truck, Jesus wasn't with them, it seemed, but he was right there. In fact, he was up on the hill watching, praying for them. What might he have been praying? Peter is a problem, Father. Can you fix him? How about John's really young? He's a teenager. I need help, Father. Andrew keeps bringing people to me. Bless him. It's a full moon, it's Passover time, lunar calendar, it's easy to see. Jesus is watching them as they go into the storm. That seems kind of cruel. <laughs> no, no, he planned the storm. How you do it? What kind of storm are you in? What storm is raging in your life today? Give it to the Lord and rest in His calming peace. Thanks for listening to Grow in Grace as we continue our journey through the New Testament. Today's message from Pastor Ed Ray is a part of our study in John's Gospel, and you can hear it again at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find all of our recently aired programs right there at thepackinghouse.org, as well as an archive of Pastor Ed's messages. We're also on YouTube, and that's a great way to live stream our services or watch recently delivered messages. Search for Packing House Christian Fellowship, and if you prefer to have a CD copy of today's message, just call toll-free 844-77-GRACE. Again, we're here to serve you, 
at 844-77-GRACE. As we continue to get the word out on stations like this all across the nation, we're looking to our listeners for help. Even a small donation can have a large impact by God's grace. And whatever comes in goes straight to the ministry. When you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount today, be sure to request our featured resource. It's a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. This is a no-compromise call to biblical revival and spiritual excellence that we all need to hear. You'll see the great disparity between today's church and the Church of Acts. Again, we're making it available for a gift of any amount. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Would you like to put a smile on our face? Just shoot us an email and let us know you're listening. It's so helpful to hear if a particular series is benefiting your walk with the Lord. It's encouraging, too. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. We have another study to look forward to in the Gospel of John next time on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We'll see you then. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your